0: In search of the greatest teams in business who are creating meaningful customer experiences. This is Heart of Business with Anthony Canada and LB Harvey.
1: Welcome to Heart of Business. I'm Anthony Canada.
0: And I'm LB Harvey, A.K. some good news and some not great news. We're here in shelter in place in the Bay Area. Curious how things are in Arizona. But reason to be optimistic, Pfizer's vaccine dropped today. Pretty exciting.
1: Pretty exciting. I, I watched the live stream of the first inoculation given, which happened in New York, which was a signal for some hope, some optimism. But obviously, we know the next several months are still going to be pretty grim for us. So it's kind of a, a weird mix of emotions, to be honest.
0: Yeah, it's it's odd. I mean, I think heading into the holiday season, this is certainly an unprecedented holiday season, and you definitely have to really feel for some of the small businesses out there that are trying to kind of get through what is normally their best month right. in a very unideal situation.
1: Totally. We talked about this offline. We're trying to do our part to contribute to the local small businesses, whether that's, you know, shopping locally for gifts or honestly, I I'm just going to the same coffee shop every day. <laughs> like I'm at the point now where they know me by name, which feels really cool. And and being able to be with a, a regular member tipping, you know, understanding that you know, a lot of folks that are working to operate the businesses when they are open, these are hard times. And so we're trying to do our part that way too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We're doing the same. I would be not being totally genuine to say we're not doing some online shopping for sure, but we're also trying to support some local businesses around us and yeah. um, wherever we can kind of default to that. Speaking of the holidays, talk to me a little bit about Front. What are we doing here to celebrate and support employees during the the holiday season?
1: So I had the opportunity to come in just before the holidays last year. So I saw sort of what we were able to do live in person, which is pretty cool. The company has a tradition through the Front Foundation to uh, do a giving tree where people bring in gifts for you know the less fortunate that get contributed over to them and hopefully try and just stir some happiness and joy during the season. It's been pretty cool this year to see that we're moving it virtually. So same type of, of spirit, same gifts delivered and the impact is, is the same the medium is moved to online. So that's been pretty cool. Yeah, I,
0: I love that. I think it, everyone wants to, to do their part around the community around them and making it super easy yeah. um, just helps enable that. So totally. I saw that come out and I was really excited to participate and see that Front was was leaning in there.
1: Totally. And the other thing we're doing, um, actually we're doing this for the first time this year, we're doing a mandatory shutdown between Christmas and New Year's. And I think you know this year in particular, we're going to appreciate the opportunity to take a step back and reset as we think about you know the next year and starting 21 refreshed, thinking about everything, again, that we've all had to endure. But I, one thing that I can't help but think about LB is as marketers, it's very easy to say that and just shut off our email and, and turn it back on. But I appreciate in customer facing teams, be it sales teams who have a quota, Support teams who have to be there, success teams to serve the customer, maybe for Front, but also just for folks that you know in the profession. Yeah, how do they view kind of this end of year hustle?
0: Yeah, well, first of all, I'm really excited that Front is doing sort of the holiday shutdown. I've actually been fortunate enough to be part of two other companies who who had the same policy, and I think it is such a wonderful give to employees to really just be able to enjoy the time with friends and family do a little travel i think it's a great time of year just to refresh right like heading into the the new calendar and fiscal year for for most businesses so so i'm a big 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 fan and, and by the way i think it's like it's really smart of the business as well yeah um because the reality is this would be kind of a low productivity week yep um with a lot of customers out of the office with people you know even if they're in the office hearts and minds are probably still with their families and friends etc so totally. i love that we're doing this. The reality is for customer support teams, specifically here at Front, but in my, my previous lives as well, we're going to want to be here to support our customers, even those who are in the office. And, and I do think that's more rare these days, but there will be some businesses that need to contact our customer support on the 26th, 27th, 28th, et cetera. Yep. Um, and we're going to want to be there to um, answer this query. So the reality is we will have a um, kind of lighter staff week. And our our support organization will take um, shifts and then hopefully take the time back in the first couple of weeks of January to recoup some of those hours. But we will want to be um, appropriately reactive. On the sales side, you know, I think the reality is that people who have deals in flight that have a chance to close will do sort of the necessary things during this week. But what I think it really gives the sales team permission to do is treat this week as an opportunity to close some deals that that they can get done, but not do some of the more proactive prospecting activities, et cetera, and really kind of enjoy the majority of the time uh, during this week to themselves. And then the, the kind of give back is this year it's Jan 4th, but coming back really refreshed and ready to really rock and roll. Um, as we head into January. We're lucky in that we do have a Jan Fiscal here at front and in my uh, previous gig as well. Um, and I love that because it allows you to really try to get business done before uh, things trail off before the holidays and then kind of have a, a, cl- a sense of a close and then um, have a second close in January. So I'm a big fan of that Jan Fiscal.
1: Uh, LB, as I'm thinking on since our last episode, it feels like it's been IPO and M&A just Bonanza for the last several several weeks. It's been kind of crazy. And I none probably crazier than last week's news with both Airbnb and DoorDash having massive, massive IPOs. Now we've already covered DoorDash on the show and found out we're both, you know, big DoorDash users, which is awesome. But what do you make of this with both Airbnb and DoorDash having such such massive news?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think on Airbnb, how cool to have. 2020 be both a really tough year as a company, right? They had some pretty public layoffs in the spring with COVID hitting. And obviously they're in the travel industry, which was very hard hit. But then to bounce back and have a December IPO is pretty cool. So really excited. Um, for that business. I think it bodes well for a big travel bounce back in 2021, certainly 2022. I know I'm getting busy planning <laughs> a bunch of trips um, and I'm betting on the travel industry. I, I think that there's going to be a big boom on the other side of this and a lot of like pent up demand. Yeah. So I hope Airbnb uh, benefits from that. And, and again, just a really cool story of resilience. Speaking of resilience, I, I sent you this over uh, LinkedIn. I am uh, really, really inspired by the DoorDash story. So I, I, I didn't know sort of the journey yeah. that the three co founders went on, that it was sort of a scrappy bootstrap startup. Stanford kids serving the Stanford campus, 2013. They obviously had, you know, like an amazing boom in business around a Stanford football game. For mm-hmm. those who don't know the story, they like tripled or 5 x the the volume in a given night. But they then had a customer service challenge in that they weren't ready for that volume. And so um, reading the article that Anthony Lynn posted on um, LinkedIn was really cool just in how they responded. They, they actually refunded all the folks whose food uh, was delivered you know, kind of egregiously late. They stayed up till 3 a.m. baking cookies. I mean, it, talk about the heart of business. Yeah. These were guys that had like both a best case and worst case scenario in one night for their business, you know, enhanced demand, but the inability to meet it. They did pretty amazing things, particularly baking cookies until 3am and delivering those to customers. Pretty, pretty amazing things to stay afloat. And and even in 2016, 2017, they were having trouble getting funding. Um, So to be able to IPO then uh, in 2020, amidst a global pandemic, It's just really cool.
1: Totally, and and what I think is cool, I, I remember reading that same article that they were like jumping out of class to respond to customers and stuff during Stanford. These are both, in the case of DoorDash and Airbnb, founders who like did things that don't scale, as as they say, and uh, have that done all in the service of of supporting their customers and proving out the business model, and and now you know, several years later, they're able to go and get this big validation, this moment in, in the market. So congrats to to those two businesses. But they weren't alone. On the M&A front, uh, it's been a particularly hot season here for uh, customer experience in general, this broader category that we're consider ourselves being a part of. Salesforce bought Slack, which rocked the world for I think it was about 27 billion.
0: Yeah, casual 27 billion.
1: Yeah, casual, just, just no problem there. Facebook bought a company called Customer for a billion dollars. And then one that feels pretty close to home here, me personally, Vista, uh, which is a pretty massive PE fund, a PE uh, organization, private equity company, led a majority investment into Gainsight, the company I actually just joined front from, for $1.1 billion, which was pretty validating and exciting.
0: Yeah. I mean, talk about validation of the space. It's yeah. really, really, really clear that companies are figuring out that customer communication is critical and that contextualized and collaborative customer communication is, is kind of where it's at. So yeah. really interesting to see the acquisitions and congrats on the, the Gainsight uh, acquisition. I know you were a big part of really helping create the category, which is amazing.
1: Thank you. Yeah, and I appreciate that. Yeah. And actually it's kind of funny, You know, for today's episode, Gainsight CEO, Nick Meta is our guest, but... You know, we recorded this thing uh, before the news of the Vista transaction broke. So it's going to be kind of interesting now playing it back. Yeah, hearing kind of the perhaps the undertone in his voice as as we're as we're sort of talking through these topics. And what we're going to talk about is a conference that we decided to plan called Pulse, which was not about Gainsight, not about our product, but all about the industry of customer success. And we decided to plan this industry conference about three months into the job. We were... Barely a Series A company. I think we had like 10 customers and none of us had ever put on a conference before. So the sort of story that we're going to unpack is why we re- arrived at this decision to host the industry conference, how we actually banded together to, to pull it off as a team, and then what the impact was, not just for our customers, but for the broader customer success community at large. And so it's really interesting. you know. I think listening back, everything that we talk about was really recontextualized in this news now at Vista and just having that validation that, you know, a, a private equity company of, of that scale and magnitude sees the value in customer success, arguably just the same amount as, as you could argue Salesforce seeing the value uh, and Facebook seeing the value and everyone else has been investing. And customer experience.
0: Well, I am so excited uh, for the interview with Nick. You know, it's it's easy to see billion dollar acquisitions and sort of lose sight of the human component, and that's honestly what this podcast is all about, right? It's it's hearing from all of the businesses that are going the extra mile, connecting customers uh, with their teams, and creating special experiences. So I couldn't be more excited to hear about the Pulse Conference. I didn't realize that you guys had spun it up uh, as early as like your Series A. That's that's pretty incredible. So. Looking forward to hearing uh, more of the details and the successes that came out of that.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much.
0: And in this next segment, we have Heartbeats. So for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, Heartbeats is our recurring segment that shines a light on the good news coming out of 2020 the business world. It's been a tough year, but it's been amazing to see how some businesses have really risen. They've innovated, they've pivoted, and they're connecting with customers in new and creative ways. So each episode, we're bringing you some of our favorite stories to shine a light on the positive stories of 2020. AK, what's on tap today?
1: All right, I got two Heartbeats features for us. The first, just uh, given Airbnb being such a big part of the news lately, it hasn't all just been for economic profit. They actually launched a new nonprofit called Airbnb.org last week that connects people to places to stay uh, in times of crisis. And they partnered with the International Federation of Red Cross, Red Crescent Societies, community organized relief efforts, basically the global network for sort of humanitarian aid around times of crisis. And the founding team, the, the executive team put their money in their mouth is they committed 400,000 shares of Airbnb stock to support Airbnb.org. Um, and the co-founders donated an additional $6 million. So Really nice. Uh, I, I think you know we we talked earlier about how their industry and their business particularly has been hit quite hard. But in this sort of historic IPO moment, they're still finding a way to give back to the community, which I think is pretty profound and good on them for doing it.
0: Absolutely, and I love the fact that you know they've had some tough times this year. Brian Chesky, I think, was pretty public with the emotions and having to lay off so many folks from from his team, and then to have a positive platform to rebound in in December and to really kind of like tangibly put points on the board um, and get back to the community in a profound way is, is really incredible.
1: Totally agree. All right. The next one, I admit I'm sort of uh, in uncharted territory here. <laughs> but there's a company called Beauty Counter, a clean beauty startup. I think we're chatting offline. You have heard of Beauty Counter, correct?
0: I uh, have, in fact, I use some beauty counter uh, products. One of my friends hosted a little party uh, last year and we all got together and, and bought a uh, beauty counter. That's awesome. yeah, it's great products.
1: Great spirit to the company as well. They were planning to open up their first brick and mortar store in 2020, which unfortunately, you know was choice timing. I think all of us uh, in some way shape or form might might be dealing with some real estate decisions and rents and all things while our offices kind of uh, stay vacant. However, they pivoted and are launching basically a live stream of their inaugural store that's meant to kind of bridge the gap between the in-person shopping experience and obviously all of us being at home. So they've set up basically a studio in the office that's going to uh, allow folks to do everything from browse their aisles, to make up demonstrations, to even hosting community events, all streamed digitally. And what's interesting is as customers are watching from home, you can comment Uh, on what you're seeing and get live responses from the folks working in the store. So the idea is that this really becomes a two-way conversation that we so desperately miss when we're online and working from home. So I thought this was really neat. I think creatively pushing the boundary and finding new ways to make a genuine connection with the customer when not being able to be there in person.
0: Yeah, I think this is amazing. I I personally still love going out and shopping brick and mortar, I might be the the exception. Um, and again, with COVID, we're doing a lot more online shopping than we traditionally do. But there's something about the experience. And also, if you're someone that doesn't necessarily know um, all the products that they might be a good fit for or want to buy, I think it's great to be able to have that two-way dialogue. And I just applaud the creativity, the innovation, and kind of the scrappiness. Like They had this real estate, they had this big plan, and they're sort of making the best of uh, the situation in a pretty cool way. So I hope that that uh, attracts even more buyers and um, ends up being a a great thing for them heading into the holiday season.
1: All right. Well, let's get into our interview. Today we have my very good friend, my uh, mentor, my former boss, Nick Meta, CEO of Gainsight on the show. Now, as I mentioned, we recorded this before the Vista news happened. And so we're not going to dive into that into the interview. But what we do talk about is the customer success community that we, you know, had the honor of helping facilitate. And that really happened primarily through our flagship event called Pulse. And I I am unapologetically an event person, a conference marketer. I, you know, in wearing the CMO hat, you know, you have to really appreciate the entire marketing stack, but I show a lot of bias towards events because. I just love the in-person experience you get when you get a chance to meet a customer or a prospect or a partner in person. LB, where do you stand on the... 2020 aside, COVID aside, where do you stand on this whole live event thing?
0: You know, I I, I will admit, I'm a big fan of live events because I think that they're a great way to reach out to your customers and your prospects and engage with them in real uh, meaningful ways. I think sometimes you get great uh, insight, like product insight, um, it's a great way for uh, team members to meet one another, etc. I'm personally not a huge attender of events for uh, software that that I buy, but I certainly realize the the, the power of of events. And first uh, tech company I work for, software company I work for, LinkedIn always hosted a great event, Talent Connect, and I think that became a real preeminent event for uh, talent professionals and really created a home for recruiters. And in in my experience from attending, recruiters loved to go to Talent Connect yeah. and both uh, get insight into some of the evolving tactics in recruiting, as well as let loose. So uh, that was always a good good event.
1: Totally, and maybe that's the difference between attending conferences that are purely about the software, purely about you know someone trying to sell you something, and then conferences where it's really about education and training and all that, and the connection and networking. And we found that while there's executive type programs, executive type forums, really the long tail of attendees you know, really stand to benefit from these types of programs and uh, a chance to kind of sharpen their career over time. So I, I'm really excited to dive into this. So without uh, any further ado, let's take a listen to my chat with Nick Meta, CEO of Gainsight. Today is special because this is part interview, but also part kind of a walk down memory lane I'm absolutely thrilled and overjoyed to have Nick Mehta on the show. A good friend of mine, two-time CEO that, that I've worked for, and, and just an all-around amazing person. So Nick, so happy to have you on the podcast.
2: Awesome to be here, man. Really, really excited to, to walk down memory lane. Should be fun.
1: Awesome. And I'm not sure if you remember this. Do you remember where we actually met or how we met?
2: I remember that well because we'd hired you and it was a SaaS company called Live Office you know, a couple hundred people in the company. Um, Anthony had come in as a uh, business development person. And so I, I heard your name, heard, actually heard great things about you from your boss, but hadn't interacted with you much. And we had a meeting about one of our big partners. And honestly, I was just blown away by the quality of the presentation. That was kind of one of those things where you notice sometimes people that are early in their career and you're like, wow, that was like, not just like what you talked about, but how you talked about it was really impressive. And I think you had like literally taken a map of the world, if I remember correctly, and kind of like put our strategy on that map or something. And I was like, that's really impressive. So it's it's kind of funny the impact, the impressions people can leave in those little moments. And, you know, that probably led to us working together today.
1: Totally. I think it did. I mean, I very much appreciated you, I guess, being willing to bet on the guy that did that map slice, basically. And yeah, presenting that opportunity come together at Gainsight. So I, I'm thrilled to be to to do this show with you now. And heart of business, I think, you know, just to give you a quick overview, the goal for this is we want to profile the best teams in business as I think about what we've done at GainSight, really around the zero to one motion for launching an industry conference. Something that you know, I know you talk about quite a bit, folks come to you for advice on how to do this. It's not trivial, but also we brought a lot of first practices into how we did it. So I'm excited to unpack that with you. But before we get into it, I want to do our favorite segment to kick off, Weird Question of the Week. If the NFL were to adopt a bubble model, just like the NBA... Which Pittsburgh Steelers player, past or present, do you think would do the worst in that environment?
2: Oh, that's a good question. Um, okay, I will go with and, and for if you're not a football fan, don't worry I'll explain. I'd probably go with James Harrison because he he was this um, for people that don't know Pittsburgh Steelers there's this linebacker uh, from you know five years ago who was kind of pretty much like the toughest guy ever, and I'm pretty sure he would just physically break out of the bubble if there was a bubble, he would just completely break out of it so I think that that uh, that that would be my choice.
1: Got uh, it. Before we dive in here, you know, it's kind of fun asking you this question after having answered it myself over the years now uh, on podcasts just like this. But maybe for our audience, tell them a little bit about Gainsight and just overall kind of
2: you know what the company's focused on. There you go. You don't have to do the pitch this time. I'll do it. That sounds good. Yeah, so Gainsight, We really and it aligns so well, Anthony, with what you and the front team are working out, which is that we think the future of business is has to you know, put the customer at the center of business. And that's because customers have so much power now in these business models where they don't have the, they're not locked in, you know, they're they're paying as they go, they're paying based on usage, they're in a subscription contract, they haven't purchased everything up front. And in that model, you've got to make the customer the center of your business. Gainsight is all about implementing this process called customer success, which is driving this end to end focus on driving value for the customer. Part of that is a customer success team that's managing your customers. And, and part of that's making your product better at driving value for your customers. Part of that's making your sales team better drive value. And for each of these areas, we Gainsight makes Technology, you know, SaaS products that help you in each of those areas, helps you scale your customer success team, helps you drive product adoption and product engagement, helps you drive more revenue from your customers, and helps you measure the experience your customers are having. I'm pretty sure you you wrote that pitch many years ago. So there you go. I was gonna say very, very familiar.
1: But take us back. I, I want to go back to 2013. And this was when, you know, you're the new CEO at JBara Software. And for those that know, that was the company name before the rebrand to GainSight. Customer success wasn't really a, a a thing back then, or at least by name. Today it's it's now one of the fastest growing professions in the world. But walk me through the company that you sort of inherited or that you joined and how you came to realize that customers and, and the market in general was really gravitating around this new thing called customer success.
2: Totally, yeah, and you, you were right there. So I'll just tell our story and you you fill in some of the gaps. Yeah. So I did not found Gainsight. I joined very early. Anthony joined r- right right shortly after I did. Our two founders, Jim Eberlin and Sridhar Pettineni, had worked at a SaaS company and had felt that pain that when you're in a SaaS business, you don't get the customer forever just because you sold to them, right? You had to re-earn their business every day. And so they saw this opportunity to start a company around this. And they, they were very, very early stage. And they met an investor, Battery Ventures, who decided to kind of make a bet on them. And a guy named Roger Lee and not Cole from Battery. And so they basically kind of collaborated together. And as they were looking to fund the company, um, I had just sold my last business, actually the one that Anthony and I worked at. And we, I, I decided to, um, to take the plunge because my last company was a SaaS company. I'd felt these problems myself. And I joined Jim and Treather as a CEO as we were just about to launch. So we had some beta customers and basically very small amount of revenue, like $100,000 or so of revenue, and uh, came in here. And, and as Anthony said, you know the company had a different name. But beyond that, like, this idea that customer success is now everywhere in tech was not true at all. Honestly, no, if I had told anyone at that time working on customer success, they definitely would have thought I was saying I'm, I'm working on customer support that I'm actually probably in a support job somewhere answering phones right and so which is an important job but definitely misunderstanding what this role is and so early on we decided you know that we needed to market the role not market our company we needed to convince companies that customer success should be at the heart of business and it should be everywhere and it should be something that companies really take seriously like they take sales and marketing and other areas and so we decided and honestly based on your vision to focus on Kind of creating the category of customer success, not just marketing. Gain Sight. A lot happened after that, which we'll probably talk about.
1: <laughs> totally thinking about it, almost sequenced out. We did a few things pretty early. We uh, maybe even counterintuitively, we talked yeah. to Gartner and Forrester and right. others, and their guidance was actually not to go to call it customer success, like uh, or at least right. uh, their recommendation was aligned to some of their existing research areas, and so we sort of. I think had a moment. This was going back, I think, February, March of 2013, when we said, are we going to follow our conviction that we should call this thing customer success, go after that market, champion the the role and the profession, or should we just take a challenger position against Zendesk, or should we just go after the existing MQs?
2: MQ being magic quadrant from Gardner. The magic Quadrant at yeah, Gardner, yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah. From the CEO's perspective, you know, you're what, three months in the job at that point, four months, something along those yeah. lines, You're information gathering, you're talking to customers. What gave you the conviction to say like, all right, we're not going to listen to Gartner. We're not going to listen to, you know, these other analysts. We're going to focus on uh, following our heart, following our our intuition and, and championing customer success.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because I think, I think, and you and I've talked about this a little bit, you talk about this in your book that like, there's this opportunity to either take an existing category and kind of reshape it, but you have the benefit of that name of the existing category, you know, account management, customer support, or you can create something totally new. And the downside of something new is people initially won't have any idea what it is. And it also, by the way, is for a lot of people, they'll say that's a bad idea because it doesn't sound that big. Because by definition, anything that's new won't sound that big. And so I remember meeting friends, CEOs, actually, who are super great advisors to me in other parts, but actually he said, don't call it customer success call it customer analytics, customer intelligence, etc. Because that customer success was just a concept that didn't mean that much, right? It It didn't mean anything. But I think the thing that you and I and you talk about this a little bit, this idea that like, it was a job. And so if we tied the category to the job, number one, we could help people in the job, which on its own just feels great. But number two, you can kind of ride the growth of that job. And that's definitely been the story of Gainsight and the story of this kind of customer success movement is you're not software that's just riding a technology trend right there's some software out there that is riding a tech trend we're software that's riding a career trend um and an an underlying business trend and so i think we made that decision i think you have that quote from aaron from box who says you know kind of find an underserved kind of segment of people and make them a hero and i think that was like going through our minds of okay well maybe we can make this group a hero and you know i think like everything in hindsight it looked like it was it's probably a decent decision at that time it was very uncertain and i think we were all really unsure what we wanted to do the interesting <laughs> thing is though what if you just go do it and like put yourself out there and you kind of end up committed then you just you're like all in right so we kind of you know as we'll talk about we did for the sure. conference first conference on customer success and things like that and then we were sort of all in and and for that point forward you don't question the decision anymore because that's just who you are so yeah. we don't we don't question customer totally. success anymore at gainsight you can see i we have three books behind me all about it <laughs> um, so I think that's, that's something I kind of learned is like, you know, at some point you just go all in and then you just make that work. And luckily it's worked. So I
1: remember that one day it was b- right after we sort of had this moment that we decided, Hey, we are going to go all in. And you, and I think it was Jim Everland, our founder came to me and said, we need to do an event. And I remember vividly trying to, to downplay it or at least minimize the, the scope of this thing and say... Hey, should we do a launch party in Soma? Is that kind of what you're talking about? Both you and Jim were pretty convicted on wanting to host a conference, a conference for an industry that didn't even exist yet, and we were still Jay Software. We were half, you know, working through a rebrand, and so we didn't even have a company brand really yet.
2: We didn't really have a website. Uh, uh, we're sort of a kind of a Wix type website or yeah, you know, exactly. whatever. Yeah, totally.
1: So I'm curious, and maybe for the marketers in the or in the audience who. Uh, Uh, Have had a CEO come and ask them to to do these big bold things. Why was a major event, let alone an event, you know, the right first move? And uh, maybe from the customer perspective, like, why did this matter?
2: So funny. Uh, My memory, which is a memory so fallible, is that you're the one who had the big ambition, and that I was the one who had the smaller ambition. So I think you're probably right about your story. Um, But I, it's funny, I remember the opposite. But either way, I think that we definitely had this like tension of, okay, do we want to shoot for something small a kind of more intimate thing or something really big? And I think that it was uh, very unclear because yeah, people, if you haven't thrown your first event, you really do have no idea how many people are going to go. And it's very hard to size and like build a budget and things like that. And later on, you know, you can get this down to more of a science. So I totally uh, think that we were in two minds about that. And that's actually pretty much, I don't know if this is, we'll talk about later, but you, you came to me with this amazing presentation on the vision you called it the gold rush presentation i still remember it well and it was about this vision of kind of creating a category through events and through community and literally it's kind of what we you and we ended up doing um so but i totally agree like at that moment it was very uncertain you know what we wanted to do and whether it would work and what we should call it and so if people are like listening i think that like that is a real moment, and by the way, it doesn't always work out this way. Sometimes it works out better. Sometimes it works out worse. You know, it was we were totally we had no idea. Um, all we knew was there was people called customer success managers, so we thought there was something there. Yeah,
1: and they, I, I think, if I remember, they had like smaller meetups, not, yeah, exactly. not a conference, but right. we knew they liked to get together in person. We knew right. that they had this hunger for community, and so I think, uh, and, and maybe it was Jim that was really pushing the the high. Uh, to doing the big event, but I think we said if we can get them all together in a really meaningful way and do better, perhaps than just a meetup, then maybe that would be something that all we'll success. And so I know a lot of folks have asked you this over the years, but how did you guys do your do pulse? You know, events are hard; they're high effort, they're expensive, yeah. months of planning. But we were a team of twenty five people at this point, and mo- most of them, I think, were writing code. And and then there was what five to eight of us, I think in in California. So I mean, it wasn't like a massive team that put this no. together. Do events, as you look back today, make an impact that's differentiated than something we can do virtually?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think you, you know the, the thing that you and I learned is that like you build a sense of community, connection, belonging, being part of a movement. Those are things I hear when I hear people going to Pulse. And feeling that, like, there's thousands and thousands of people out there who are like, oh my God, I remember my first pulse and being in the audience and seeing all those people. I think there is definitely a phenomenon about feeling like you're not alone. You're one of something that's bigger and that helps you feel better about what you're doing and feels more confident you can move forward. And we all have that experience in our business lives, right? Where we're like, oh my gosh, am I the only one dealing with this? And then you go to a place where you're like, a, you, you use the expression like you're home, right? Like, this is yeah. like we would tell people, welcome home because this is a place where people are thinking like you and in your own company, you might like be like the only one thinking about this, but in, in the broader world, there's a lot of people like you. And so I think that, um, as, as we live in the virtual world now and with the you know, pandemic and all that, I think there's a, um, there's ways to do that, but I do think that it's hard to imagine the kind of physicality and the connection that you get by seeing all these people, the, the core experience is this idea of like, the sea of people all like you and hearing all these conversations that are about the things you're thinking about and seeing these presentations about the things that you care about and are interested in and hearing from people that inspire you. And even, even the silly stuff, the jokes and the music videos and all the things that are like exactly what you, know, you care about, right? So I think that is the powerful thing about building community is you get people to feel like, wow, I'm not alone.
1: I think that's exactly right. I admit that I sort of blacked this part out because from the moment we said (laughs) we're going to do this to the day of the show feels like a blur. Uh, I mean, it's been several years, but in general, it feels like, you know, we didn't know what this thing would look like, right? And we were working hard to make it great. This is kind of a two-part question. The first is like, do you remember how you sort of rallied us to pull off something that seemed kind of impossible or at least like having this vision of not all of us having like context for what this would look like, but also maybe in the back of your head, what mattered, like what showed up to the board on the board slides. You know, the quarter after was it how many people were there? Was it the experience we created for for the customers who were there? Like, what were the things that really made this like important as a uh, initiative to you?
2: Well, it's interesting. I think there's. Um, I'll do the the second one first, and then the first one. The, the on what mattered. I think that what we think mattered and what actually mattered were probably different. I'm sure we had some slide that said there was this many people here and this was the, the pipeline in the room or how many pipeline we created. What mattered re- in reality was we brought people together, created a movement. They had a great experience. They thought about how other people should be part of it. They felt more like they belonged, They felt more confident in their job. And that eventually led to you know, many of them buying gainsay. right? I bet it'd be interesting to look at that first 300 people and how many ended up becoming customers. That's yeah. a good analysis to do. But it's kind of like one of those things where you look at the, the micro and you probably wouldn't capture the picture just saying how much pipeline was created, how many meetings did you have. As you get more mature, we, we certainly do that analysis. You did that when you were here, Anthony. And it's, it's good analysis, but I think it always understates the impact of these kind of community movement things. On how we rallied, uh, it's a great question. I, I remember the first one is a blur, being honest, May of 2013. It's, it's kind of a blur because I, it just kind of happened. <laughs> like your your team did a lot of work, but it kind of like just it was like so winging it. I remember the second one after we'd done one and sending some kind of an email that was to the effect of like you know being a sports fan. This is our Super Bowl. This is like the one day when it all kind of comes together, and you know for our customers, for our investors, for our team. And the over the years, you realize that it really does help all three of those constituents. You know these events definitely motivate your customers to do more and get more value. They definitely help your investors because it definitely becomes a, a source of sales and growth, um, but also helps your team. It's such a rallying event. You know. When we, if, we, if we measured our teammate engagement right after policy, it always goes up every year. And I don't think that's actually just Gainsight. I think that's true for a lot of companies' events. You know, they really are partly about engaging your team. For sure.
1: I think that's totally right. I want to touch on experience really quick. Um, we both share that desire to create a great experience and not make an event just an event. And over the years, I think we've done some pretty crazy things, including Vanilla Ice performance at oh. 9 a.m. Uh, still so uh, great. Still so great. A Disney musical. We did have a long road to uh, to that greatness, I'd say. And so, if you remember, year one, our big moment was hiring a stand-up comedian to pretend yes. like he was the CFO of a publicly traded company that will go nameless. And he came up on stage completely deadpan. Made up stories about the other presenters and the audience, and it went interesting. I would say I'm curious to get your recollection from it, but why do we do this? Why do we push the box creatively on, on, on some of these things? We sell software right
2: yeah, it's funny because one of our values is childlike joy bring the kidney to work every day, and I think both of us just enjoyed bringing that creativity and you know you and I've done some great collaboration together of you know uh, a comedian or we had a, a sing along you know as you remember a surprise sing along when you vanilla ice taylor swift uh impersonator doing a music video we parody we rewrote uh you know the famous rap video uh inside the studio you know country (laughs) music song so many right and i think it was it was really a couple of things one is us scratching our own itch for creativity and fun and that being a value of gainsight but the other thing i think is like it's a way to connect with your customers and connect the community because it's a lot of this stuff just i think marketing i'm not i'm not a professional marketer but like so much of it is that making the customer and the community feel like, wow, they get me, they get me right. That's like, you know, there's an inside joke in a certain community and they know that inside joke. They know what it's like to be a CSM. You know, we're doing a, as you know, we also now have a product for product people and we have a conference focused on that. And we're doing our own, like, okay, what's the version of that for product people? How do we get them to feel like, wow, Gainsight gets me, you know? And so I'm working on, as you saw a preview of it, I'm working on some stuff there, uh, you know? And so, I think that it's it's like part of it is our own kind of selfish desire to be creative and have fun. And part of it is like oh we want our customers to feel like we get them.
1: I'm I'm wondering if there's a moment that happened to you at the conference. So and again, we're stretching back here to 2013, yeah. right? Four seasons hotel, Market Street, San Francisco the show went great except with the exception of a fire alarm going off in the middle of a, a key opening keynote. Was there a moment for you there where you looked out into the audience? We had, I think 300 people there or something yep. in our first year where you're like, my gosh, we, we might have unlocked something here. And and you talked about earlier that something about like, it's a rallying call for the team too. So I imagine as a relatively new CEO at yep. Gainsight, at least at that point, like this was probably a lot of emotion of like, okay, the team, pulled this off but then also like look at all these customers so i'm curious if there was a moment that stands out to you where it all kind of started clicking
2: totally yeah i mean i think each year when you do big events you actually get this amazing like like snapshot that you can kind of remember forever and there's so many from every year from you know probably the the other comp other years of vanilla ice you know michael lewis being on stage me interviewing him and you know you and i being backstage right before uh what uh when when actually that that um Disney musical that we yeah. did, redid, uh, and you know, a lot of different things like that. Um, uh, don't, uh, uh, we will we'll not talk about copyrights during this discussion. Uh, so the, <laughs> we'll the uh, yeah, exactly. The, the, um, in that first one though, I do remember um, I, there was a CEO panel at the end and uh, CEO box, uh, Zora exactly. Um, you know, I think maybe one or two others uh, inside view and we were all in this panel and I was kind of leading it. And I remember um, looking at the audience a lot. And actually, what's interesting is people are like, oh, yeah, that's Nick. It was a little, a little distracting. You kept looking at the audience, right? Because actually, as a per- I've done many of these now. And I, you, ideally, you're actually looking at the people. And the, the audience is sort of irrelevant. I think I was looking at the audience because like, holy geez, all these people are here, right? Like, whoa, all these people are here. And so and that feels that felt and, you know, you know, now. Three hundred people feels like oh there's only three hundred people here. Uh, when we do like a regional event, okay, fine. I guess we don't have to do anything big, uh, and we still enjoy it. Obviously, but it so becomes relative. But I, in those early days, I was like, wow, all these people are here for our little event for our little company. That was pretty cool.
1: Well, we know that over the years, the the first event basically became the proof point. Yeah, and the basis for our entire marketing strategy. Just six years later, we'd have over six thousand people at uh, Moscone Center conferences in London and Australia local chapters of Pulse Local in over 50 cities around the globe. and More than that, this customer success thing that we sort of followed our conviction on, went all in on, has become a movement. And LinkedIn continues to validate that with their economic graph reports, that CSMs, customer success managers, are one of the fastest growing professions in the world. You know, We see that taking sort of a guess in 2013, an educated guess, led to something pretty profound. I'm curious, what has been the impact of Pulse over the years? And I'm curious on, on three different dimensions on the team who worked on it. Maybe I can even speak to that a little bit on Gainsight and its mission and on you, on you personally.
2: So it's all three. I mean, it's definitely been, you know, can you go to the list of things that are the most important in Gainsight history? It's number one for sure. And it's the impact is, you know, I kind of think when you have a new category, a lot of that kind of category is about creating the category and convincing people that there's something here. Like, is there something here? You know, you're, a person at a big company and you just create a CSM team and you're not sure if there's something here and you go to pulse and you're like, Oh yeah, there's something here. These other people couldn't be wrong. You know, you're an executive whose team asked you to come to pulse and check it out. they want to buy this software called Gainsight. you have never heard of it before. Wow. There's something here. You know, you're a, you're an investor who's thinking about investing one of our, you know, maybe one of our investors doing diligence and wow, there's something here, you know? So I think that's like a big part of it from a business perspective is convincing people there's something here and aligning them on, what the future looks like and over the years then differentiating your business and stuff like that too right why gain sight i think on the team side it is uh, an unbelievable proof point of all your hard work on one day like it all kind of comes together and it's it's sort of we all know that like things that feel meaningful are ones that you work really hard at particularly with a team and when it works it's just the results are amazing you and i would do these celebrations afterwards where we just get into some bar somewhere with the whole team and you'd be shouting out all the highlights and then you could go on for hours and yeah, people's exactly. voices were gone because you couldn't talk anymore because you had so many presentations and we're out of energy, but we feel so great. And I remember those so well, some of the highlighted moments, you know, and I think the um, team just kind of felt like they grew so much in one day and people had chances to speak in the biggest stages they've ever spoken at and thousands of people. And so I think that in the team, it's just so clear. And then, yeah, for, for CEO, I mean, you know it, how it is. It's, it's actually really hard to just keep going and the energy because it's just super hard and it's hard for everyone by the way so it's no i mean ceos are very privileged and lucky and tons of benefits but you know it's hard to like keep going with the company Well, anyone in a company it's hard right but a ceo theoretically you probably are one of the people that go the furthest the longest if, if you're fortunate enough right and a journey is pretty lonely at the end and stuff and so that conference becomes this like embodiment of okay, wow, there's something worth fighting for. So I think it does touch all three of those stakeholders.
1: That resonates with me so much. I mean, we, we call this podcast the heart of business, which I define as a space where companies and customers really connect. And for me, I, I kind of view Pulse as the heart of Gainsight's business in that, in that sense. You know, obviously the product is a big part of it, the value that we've created for customers kind of from, from that perspective. But I really do think about it as the heart of the business. And that's something that has impacted me profoundly in my career. Um, and as I think back to some of the the best kind of highlights of my career, almost all of them have something to do with, uh, with the time at Pulse. All right. We have one more segment to get to, Nick. We call this the speed round. Awesome. We'll give you five seconds or less to answer each of the following questions. You ready? Let's go. All right. Best book you've read recently.
2: I will say, okay, I, I'm going to give you three. I'm going to cheat. Super forecasters, which is all about how you can kind of do a better job of making great predictions. Um, and how people that are really good at predictions can make great ones, so that's kind of very practically useful. I read a book called The Case Against Reality, that's, an, that's an, a view into my mind. It's about whether there's anything real here or whether there's something that's, that's beyond us that we can't perceive from a science perspective. It's a very interesting science read. And then I will say the one, actually I don't think, Anthony, you would, you would have heard about this yet. We have fourteen-year-old, eleven-year-old, eight-year-old. My fourteen-year-old is an aspiring author. So the best book I read this year is the first novel that she wrote that she gave me the draft of, which is wow. called Every String. And it's it's a pretty amazing to see the kid that you help make write a book. It's not published yet or anything, but I think hopefully I think it will be, and uh, it's pretty amazing.
1: That's incredible. It's an unbelievable answer. I don't even know the. I can't even imagine as a father of two uh, myself seeing you know our, our children do something like that. So that's incredible. That was much more than five seconds though. So we're going to restart the speed round right
2: right now on the the last ones. (laughs) All right, let's let's go back to speed. Favorite podcast? Sean Carroll is a physicist, does a podcast called Mindscape. Awesome.
1: Work from home or work from the office?
2: Work from home and hopefully get to do this uh, a lot going forward. I like it.
1: Favorite purchase that you made during quarantine?
2: Um, DSLR camera I'm trying to set up right now. Nice. Not set up yet. I'm working on it.
1: And finally, the brand that you admire the most.
2: Southwest Airlines, because it's a tough business and their employees seem to like working there.
1: All right. And finally, Nick, just to end on this, as a customer yourself, what's the most memorable interaction that you've ever had or that you can remember uh, with a
2: company? I will give a extremely stereotypical answer for a Silicon Valley CEO and say the first time I drove uh, my Tesla. So a Tesla is a pretty remarkable reinvention of a car. Now a lot of other electric cars are out there. You know, integrated experience end-to-end, that's one of the gold standards out there.
1: Well, Nick, it means so much that you were on this. Thank you, thank you, thank you for reminiscing with me and going back uh, to 2013. As folks uh, wanna find you or learn more about Gainsight, where, where can they go?
2: Yeah, gainsight.com, or you can find me on N-R-M-E-H-T-A on Twitter and look forward to getting to meet some of you down the road.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much, Nick.
0: You're listening to Heart of Business. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Now back to the show.
1: That was so awesome to hear back. And I, I got to say, you know, when we talk about Pulse being at the heart of our business at Gainsight, like we really mean it. Not It's not just a platitude. the The community the people behind the profession. And, you know, we heard a lot of words like movement on that uh, episode that that's what drove us. That's what really kind of fueled our ability to build the business. It it opened up our sort of creative muscle more and allowed us to really kind of power through the, forgive the term, but the dog days of of category creation, which is is a tough, long uh, effort. And so, you know, now again, in light of the news that Vista has you know, made a major majority investment in Gainsight. It's just so validating. And I'm so excited for what this means for the community to now get incrementally more resources to, to help kind of shape and advance the, the interests of the profession and a lot more kind of integration, I'd imagine, into different kind of software stacks to help them kind of be more productive in general. Win-win-win, I suppose, for Gainsight, for Vista, and for the community uh, at large. LB, it's time for your last word. What did you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, so, so two big um, things stood out to me listening through the uh, interview uh, between you and Nick, aka one, I love that Gainsight aligned to people and not technology and not trends, right? At the end of the day, Gainsight really hitched its success. To the folks who were betting on customer success as a career and the people who were really driving that as a thing in the industry. And those are the people who attended Pulse. Those are the people who bought Gainsight software. So I love the idea of really understanding your customers and knowing that it's the people that are going to drive your business's success, not just technology, not just the current trend, which will come and which will go. Right. Yeah. And the second thing is, while I, as a revenue leader, love the pipeline generation no doubt that events bring uh, events really are more than just a, a pipeline event, right? They help build brand, they create the passion out there in the environment. And then I think what's really cool is all of the behind the scenes chemistry and kind of um, camaraderie that a big event like Pulse can build within your company. I think it's just a really unique rallying cry and something that people can get really excited about and drive morale across your own organization as well.
1: Totally. that's that's so, so important. Well said, I'm looking forward to the next time we can we can all be in person again. I feel like I say that on every episode. And who knows, maybe a front conference at some point in the future.
0: I absolutely hope that's the case. At least 2022.
1: At least 2022. Exactly.
0: Yes. Cool. All right. Well, that is all we have for this week. Please hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and review as well.
1: And you can follow the Heart of Business podcast, honestly, as well as many other great stories of how teams and customers are working together and how they're making their missions possible by subscribing to FrontPage. And FrontPage is the editorial site that we've launched recently here at Front for founders, executives, and customer-facing teams. Follow us on Twitter at FrontApp or by going to frontapp.com blog. We'll be back in January. So we hope all of you have a safe and happy and healthy holiday. Looking forward to seeing you in 2021.
0: Happy holidays. Heart of Business is a front page production brought to you by Front, the leader in customer communication. Front Page is the trusted resource for leaders who believe in the impact of meaningful connections with customers. You can find more inspiring stories at frontapp.com/blog or on Twitter at frontapp. And don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, so you never miss an episode of Heart of Business.